Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. I'm Raphael Bender. Today, I want to talk about directing your self-education, so your ongoing education after you finish your initial certification program, whether that ongoing education is like further big certifications or whether it's weekend workshops or online learning, uh, I don't want to necessarily talk about you know who you choose to use for education or what format you should use so much as what topics I think are going to be most useful for you. Uh, and I want to think about this in a framework that I think of as big rocks versus tiny pebbles. And what I mean by that is the big rocks are the things that are going to make the biggest difference to the most, you know, most impactful areas of your career, for your clients, the biggest difference I'll make for your clients, and the biggest difference I'll make uh, you know, for you as a being a confident and effective Pilates instructor. Versus tiny pebbles are things that will make a very small difference for your clients and make a very small difference for you in terms of outcomes. All right, so let's dive in. Now, this uh, is this kind of these thoughts that I've had on this are kind of they're predicated on the notion that we're here to help our clients achieve a goal. Now, that goal might you you know you might do. Uh, like a structured goal setting process with your clients, or you might not. But either way, clients come to Pilates because they want something to change. Like if their life was 100% perfect, um, there would be no reason for them to come to Pilates. So I would say, you know, by and large, people come to Pilates because they there is something missing or something lacking, or they want to improve some aspect of their physical experience or their mental health or both. Uh, and so, you know, they want to get stronger, they want to be more flexible, they want to have more sense of control over their body, better balance, uh, they want to be better at their functional tasks, they want to get out of pain, um, you know, they want to feel better about themselves, they want to feel less stiff. Uh, whatever the reasons are, there there will be some combination of those and other factors that are the things that bring people to Pilates. And so all of those things, uh, by and large, are going to involve your clients getting stronger, getting more flexible, getting fitter, fitter, improving their balance and coordination, you know, basically improving physical attributes, physical skills. And in the process of improving those physical skills, the byproducts are all of those other benefits that we often talk about, like feeling better physically, feeling better mentally, more clarity, sleeping better, less depression, all of that great stuff that we all know and love. Uh, really, a lot of that is the by are the byproducts of this the process of getting stronger, more flexible, and fitter, and better balance and coordination, all of that stuff. So uh, we help people in a holistic way through the medium of helping their physical capacities, improving their physical capacities. All right, so far I'm pretty sure I haven't told you anything you don't know. So, But here's, here's where that comes in. Here's where the thought about these big rocks and tiny pebbles comes in. Well, if it is the case that we are here to help our clients get stronger, get more flexible, all of those things I just said, well, there are 
are things that are going to make it easier for you or things that are going to be more impactful in your journey towards in in your uh, towards that achieving that goal and there are things that are going to be less impactful uh, in terms of your knowledge and skills so i want to lay out before you what i see after doing a couple of degrees and you know reading a whole truckload of research um, as the most impactful things that you can build skill in so they here are the things that i think are the great big ginormous rocks Firstly, and I hope you got this in your basic certification, enough exercises, I'm talking about Pilates repertoire here, and enough skill teaching those exercises, so you can teach however many sessions a week you need to teach, let's say like 20 plus sessions a week, if you're teaching full time. So I would say, you know, you probably need somewhere on the order of 40 to 50 exercises under your belt, so that you have enough repertoire. And when I say 40 to 50 exercises, I mean exercise you can teach comfortably. You know, you can just go, oh yeah, we can just teach this one or that one. You know, you don't have to like go and look it up in the book <laughs> and remember how to do it. So 40 or 50 exercises, I think, where you where you can, you are comfortable teaching those, you know all the spring settings, you've got good cues, you know how to, you've got alternate cues. If your first cue doesn't work for somebody, you know how to demonstrate them effectively, etc. Uh, you know how to layer them, make them harder or easier. So you've got 40 or 50 exercises that represent a balanced whole body workout. You can stretch and strengthen and tone and, you know, all of those things, work on balance and control and all of that stuff for the whole body with those exercises. So you've got enough exercises that you can give anybody at any level of skill a pretty good whole body workout, right? So we've got good core exercises for beginners, intermediate, advanced, good leg stretches for beginner, intermediate, advanced, etc. And you have to have enough comfort and skill teaching those exercises that you can teach them to beginners, you can teach them to intermediate people, and you can teach them to advanced people. So I'd say if you don't have that, and that's really what you should get in your basic certification, right? So if you don't have that, I would that's where I would start. If you're not yet confident, if you don't have like 40 or 50 exercises that you can teach confidently, that you can scale you know, up or down so you know that whatever the strength or flexibility of that person in front of you, you've got an appropriate level of challenge for them and you can work them in flexion, extension, rotation, lateral flexion, all of arms, legs, all of those things. That is where I would start. I think once you've got more than about 40 or 50 exercises, having more than that doesn't add a lot more benefit. Like, I'm going to say... In my view, once you've got 40 or 50 exercises that you're really comfortable teaching and they represent a balanced workout, having double that number is not double as good. It might be like 20% better. You know, you've got just a little bit more flexibility and, you know, versatility in the way you teach. You can accommodate those kind of weird and wacky people that come in with some weird and wacky ache or pain or whatever. You know, so having more is a little bit better, but it's nowhere near a linear progression. And I think by the time you get up to, you know, 200, 300, 400 exercises, which is what they teach you in most comprehensive certifications, it's like knowing literally 10 times the number of exercises, I reckon is like 1.25 times better, right? It, it's literally 10 times the work for like a 20% improvement, 
25% improvement. It's it's just not. I think it's way past the point of diminishing returns. So in my view, the you know, 80, 20 rule, you know, that where you get almost all the value and benefit of repertoire is having a balanced selection of 40 to 50 exercises, you know, flexion, extension, rotation, all of those things, legs, arms, flexibility, strength, control, progressions from beginner to, you know, high intermediate or advanced. You know, once you've got that, you've got almost all the benefit it's possible to get from knowing more repertoire. Knowing more repertoire, it might be like interesting, might be fun, might be stimulating, but it's not going to get you better results for your clients. All right. So once we've got that, I think the next ginormous great big rock is basic strength, flexibility, and control science. So when I say basic strength, flexibility, and control science, what I mean is the basic outline the steps needed to take you need to take to get someone stronger more flexible and better when i say control i mean coordination proprioception you know all of those balance all of those things so yeah basically co- you know neuromotor control right so we just call it control of breathe so you know if if i want if you if i'm your client and you want to help me get stronger it's like all right well how much load do you need to put on how many reps should i do how many sets of that muscle group should I do and how many times per week should I attend, right? So just the super basic structure that you should be able to confidently answer those questions. If I come to you and say, hey, I need to strengthen my glutes or my core or my legs or my whatever, or I need to improve my flexibility or I need to improve my balance, it's like, well, what level of, how do you choose the right level of challenge, the right dosage of that challenge within a session and the right number of sessions per week? for me to get the benefit, you know, to, to progress, you know, consistently. And how do you progress? You know, when do you progress the exercise? Like when, you know, do you progress it every, you make it harder every week or only when I can do a certain number of reps or, you know, how do you know when it's time to progress the exercise? Because if I want to keep getting stronger, you have to keep making it harder. Or if I want to keep getting more flexible, you've got to keep making it harder, etc. So when I'm saying basic, I just mean literally like what number of reps, how much load, how many sets do I do per session and how many sessions do I do per week? right? Whether that's strength, flexibility, or control. When I say load, I just mean level of challenge, right? So when we're talking about a control exercise, the load would correspond to like, well, how unstable is that thing that you're trying to control? So what level of challenge, what dosage per session, how many sessions per week, and how do you progress that? And when do you progress that, right? So this is just the basic things. And that's something that you should be able to say, like, in 30 seconds, right? It's not a big complex topic. You don't have to write a PhD on it or anything. Uh, you know, it's it's very simple stuff, but knowing it confidently will give you a massive advantage over not knowing it at all or not being confident in it. It's very simple. It's very clear stuff, but once you know it, you your clients will almost magically <laughs> progress, right? Because you'll just be doing the things that work the best, right? So I think, you know, knowing these basic uh, principles about strength, flexibility, and control training is going to give you 
80% of all the benefit it's possible to get from doing a four-year degree in exercise physiology or strength and conditioning, right? Almost all the good stuff <laughs> is the first 30 seconds of what you need to know. So uh, that is really simple, but it's so important and so uh, impactful on the results your clients get and thus the results that you get because when your clients get better results they tell their friends their friends are like holy crap mary you're look you're getting strong or your butt is like bam or you know how come your back your back's pain is gone like what are you doing um and then they'll say oh well i've got this new pilates instructor and that's how you get new clients um so enough exercises that you can teach a balanced workout for a range of different clients that's, I reckon that's about 40 or 50 exercises for most people. Basic principles of strength, flexibility, and control. That's like a 30-second essay, right? You could write it all on half, half a, a sheet of paper. Basic behavior change and people skills, right? How to engage people, how to build rapport, both one-on-one -on -one and in a group, because one-on-one -on -one you do it like in your assessment sessions, you do it. Uh, before and after class and in a group you do it obviously if you've got more than one person in your sessions you relate to people in a group so those rapport building skills are very very impactful on the results that your clients get because we all know Pilates only works if you do it <laughs> so and they're way more likely to come back and do it if they like you and when I say like you, I don't mean like think you're cool. I mean like feel safe with you, trust you, admire you, you want to please you. You know, all of these things that, you know, these positive emotions that we feel towards a good coach or a good mentor or a good instructor. So they, you know, building a good therapeutic alliance, building good rapport with those people and then basic behavior change. And when I say behavior change, I mean, you know, really basic stuff like setting effective SMART goals and, you know, tracking those goals and, uh, you know, helping, uh, you know, non-judgmentally helping people resolve ambivalence around their own behavior change. So these are fairly simple skills, uh, probably not a... 30 second job to learn them like it is to learn the strength side stuff but you know a couple of weeks of practice and you'll develop quite a useful level of skill in setting goals and helping people with behavior change and uh, you know the people skills side of thing is a lifelong pursuit but just basic stuff like you know asking questions about the person and genuinely listening to the answers <laughs> rather than just you know, rabbiting on about yourself um you know, basically what Dale Carnegie wrote in How to Win Friends and Influence People. All right, so enough exercises that you can do a balanced workout for, you know, various skill levels, basic strength, flexibility, and control training, people skills and behavior change. Two more are basic. The second last one is basic pain science. When I say basic pain science, I mean basic, a basic understanding of uh, the the biopsychosocial model of pain, which says that pain is always uh, an, a result of a complex interaction between biology, psychology, and our surroundings. 
it is not you know, an, a direct result of biomechanics alone. And so hurt does not equal harm. It can equal harm, but it doesn't necessarily mean harm. So a basic understanding of pain science, you know, why things hurt, why things stop hurting, a little bit more than what I've just outlined, but you know, at a pretty basic level, like the sort of understanding you can get by reading one book or doing one weekend program so that you understand you know, what to do when someone has an ache or a pain or an injury. It's like, well, I, do I refer this person? Do I modify and work around this thing? Do I just push through it? Right? Do I load it? How much do I load it? How much do I progress the load? How do I know if I'm loading it too much? Right? All of that basic stuff. Well, that stuff is what I would consider basic, and you don't have to study for years to learn it. Just knowing some super simple rules of thumb will be enough. And by the way, actually, you can learn most of this in my book, Strengthen the Person, Not Just the Body Part. Um, and this episode wasn't constructed with that book in mind. Um, but actually most of this stuff is in that book and there's, there should be a link in the show notes. I'll try and get a link in the show notes to that book. It's $4.99. Um, and, uh, yeah, this will teach you just about everything in these, in these big, big rocks. All right. So the big rocks so far, the things that I think are going to have the most impact on your skill level, uh, enough exercises. Now I won't teach you that in the book because the book's not about the exercise. I'm assuming you got that in your certification. Basic strength, flexibility, and control training, behavior change and people skills, basic pain science, and the last one, physical activity guidelines. These are just the basic guidelines for healthy adults, uh, the, the type and amount of physical activity for maximum health and longevity. Now, and they're very, very simple. Uh, you can recite them in under 10 seconds. Um, and uh, the difference between knowing them and not knowing, I think, is a a yawning chasm between highly effective exercise professionals and the rest. All right, so enough exercises, strength, flexibility, and control science, behavior change and people skills, basic pain science, and physical activity guidelines. I think those are the big five rocks. If you know those five things, I think, you know, when I say basic, I mean just base, like what you can learn in a weekend course or read in a book, um, you know, over a weekend sort of thing. Um, once you know those things, right, when I say weekend course, I mean, to learn 40 or 50 exercises, that's more than a weekend course, right? But I'm really thinking like, if you're listening to this, you probably already know 40 or 50 exercises, I'm guessing, right? You're already certified is my guess. So all of those other things, I think you can, each of them, you can probably learn, you know, the basics in a weekend. Now you could do, you could spend seven years getting a PhD in strength science or pain science or behavior change or physical activity and health, right? There's a lot more to know, but I think almost all the useful stuff for us as Pilates instructors, you can learn in a weekend and you can 10, literally 10x your, the results that your clients get in terms of strengthening, flexibility, pain relief, you know, control, etc. by learning the basics of these things. All right, the next layer I would call the medium rocks. And these are things that once you've got those big rocks and you're already like getting 80% of the results that it's possible to get, how do you close the gap and get up to like 95%? You know, get an extra edge, 
right? So I would say don't, I wouldn't touch any of these medium rocks until you've got all of the big rocks, right? I think all of those big rocks are crucial because even if you say, hey, I never work with people who have injury, it's like, well, (laughs) if you kick everyone who's got an ache or a pain out of your class, you have no one in your class. So basically we all work with people who have injuries and we all work with people who need to get stronger and more flexible and better control. We all work with people who, you know, struggle with behavior change, right? We all work with people who like to, you know, want to be uh, acknowledged and want us to care about them. And, you know, so all of these things are important for all of us, I contend. Right. So once you've got all of those big rocks, now, if you haven't got all of those big rocks, you can turn off the episode now. Don't listen to the rest. No, no, no. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. (laughs) Because I want to get, when I get to the tiny rocks at the end, these are the things I think we should stop focusing on. Right, So you're thinking, oh, I don't have time to go and learn about strength or behavior change or pain science. It's like, yeah, you probably do if you stop doing some of these other things. So stay tuned to the end and I'll share what I think we should spend less time on. Right, the medium rocks, and these are things like, these are kind of like the advanced skills that won't double or triple your effectiveness, but they will add an extra edge. Right, so advanced strength science, right? If you study strength science in more depth, you can get better results for people, but not double as good, not even one and a half times as good, maybe 20% better, maybe 15% better, right? So advanced strengthening science, advanced behavior change in people skills, right? If you learn even more in-depth skills about, you know, building rapport and helping people you know, set and track goals and achieve things and overcome setbacks, you can be more effective. But being training double as much or even five times as much is not going to make you double or five times as effective. It's going to make you a little bit more effective, right? I think getting the basics right, you're going to get about 80% of all the benefit it's possible to get in terms of results. Learning about weight loss. What contributes to weight loss? What are the strategies that are most effective for weight loss. Weight loss is mostly about behavior change. So, you know, really kind of blends into the behavior change things, but there are some elements of behavior change that are specific to weight loss science. So, yeah, some of the physiology of weight loss, um, you know, macronutrients, caloric deficit, that kind of stuff, but also and mostly the psychology and the behavior hacks that contribute to successful weight loss, long-term weight loss. Now, that's this is none of these are mandatory, right? You can never learn any of these medium-sized rocks and still have a highly successful career and fantastically happy clients, right? But, you know, people do come to you from time to time and say, hey, can you help me with weight loss? And if the answer is like, no, I can't, all right, well, there you've lost a potential opportunity to work with that person. And if the answer is, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I can, well, great, then you've added another string to your boat. Nutrition. Again, it's not within the scope of practice of a Pilates instructor, but if you go and do some extra training, it can be. So, you know, I don't think knowing nutrition in addition to knowing Pilates is makes you double as good or double as useful or it will make you earn double as much, but I think it certainly adds more value. Right? So, you know, it's hard to put a percentage on it, but my guess, my estimation is it you know, adds like 10 or 15% more value to what you can offer your clients. Athletic conditioning. Now, we use that phrase in Pilates a lot. I think mostly it's not. When we say athletic conditioning, all we mean is like adding more load, which I'm all for. Like I think adding more load's great. <laughs> but athletic conditioning is a very specific set of things. I'm speaking with my exercise and sports science uh, hat on right now. 
athletes, you know, in just about any sport you'd care to name, right, with maybe one or two minor exceptions, athletes need strength, speed, power, agility, and endurance, right? Some combination of those things. Now, some athletes need speed and then you know, mostly speed and then power. Some athletes need mostly power, then speed. Some athletes need more strength with a little bit of power. Some athletes need agility and endurance. But like no athlete would be unhappy if they got faster. You know, no one's complained. No athletes ever complained that they were too fast. <laughs> no athletes ever complained that they were too strong. So no So athletic conditioning is the science of how do we improve these capabilities in our athletes how do we how do we get someone faster and not just faster in general but faster at their particular sport skill how do we improve their strength in their sport how do we improve their power which is the ability to apply force quickly how do we improve their their sport specific agility and their sport specific endurance so the, and those are not things that you learn in your pilates certification i 100% guarantee you i don't care which pilates certification you've done even if it included something called athletic conditioning, I guarantee you it wasn't. Athletic conditioning involves like maximal velocity jumps and plyometrics, and, you know, very heavy loaded exercise and, you know, elastic recoil and all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'd be absolutely shocked if any of that was in, incorporated in any Pilates training. It's, it's a sport, standard sports science thing though. So you can learn this stuff it's in the sports science world, uh, and you can become a lot more effective at helping athletes. But again, once you've once you've got that big rock that I talk about, like the basics of strength and flexibility and control training, that is the foundation of all of these athletic attributes, right? So if you're if you already have the basics, that big rock that I talked about before, you know this is a this is a icing on the cake. It's not a you know. It's not a doubling or tripling. It's a, but it is a, it is an, it will make a noticeable improvement. I would say in this category of medium rocks is also, I'd add in an extra 40 or 50 exercises like Pilates exercises so that you can be even more versatile for people with special needs. Like if someone comes in with some kind of odd injury or, you know, weird ache or pain or, you know, something like that where, or some like they're missing their toes on one foot or like some kind of weird thing where you think like, oh, I need this like one exercise I haven't taught in two years, but it's really handy to have it. So I'd say, you know, if you double the number of exercises you have from that sort of base, that big rock I said, like 40 or 50 exercises, if you have 40 or 50 more, you're nowhere near double as effective. You might be like, 10% 10% more effective, but it's like in those little times when someone walks in and you're like, huh, I've got just the exercise for you that will help you work the leg without working the left big toe or whatever, you know, that can that can be a little bit of an edge, a little bit of an advantage. So I'd say, you know, once you've got 40 or 50 exercises, if you've got all of those big rocks, learning more exercises will help, but only up to a point. Like another, once you learn another 40 or 50 exercises, I think like there's pretty much zero benefit in my view of learning more and more and more exercises. As long as the exercises that you do know represent a balanced workout of all body parts in all directions for varying levels of ability in each of those movements, you don't need, there's nothing you could do with more than 100 exercises in my view, apart from just like use it for variety. 
and then the final uh, two medium rocks, I think, are anatomy and biomechanics. That's one. And when I when I say it's a medium rock, I think you know when I said at the at the at the start like basic strength, flexibility, and control. Well, I think that pretty much sort of includes basic anatomy and biomechanics. Like, well, if you want to know how to strengthen the quadriceps, or you have to know where the quadriceps are, right? So, I, you know, I've kind of assumed within that big rock that you've got sort of super basic anatomy, right? I'm just talking about knowing where the quadriceps are, where the glutes are, which basic movements are going to strengthen the quads, which basic movements are going to strengthen the glutes, etc. Uh, so once you've got that, I think knowing more depth about anatomy and biomechanics helps a bit. And this is, you know, I've got a four-year degree in clinical exercise physiology, which is basically anatomy and biomechanics. Um, and I would say after four years of it, I'm like 10% more effective than I was after the first six months. But if in the first six months, I went from zero to massively more effective. And then the next three and a half years was like, meh, a little bit better. So I think you can get a lot more knowledge and get a little bit more results, but, you know, having five times the amount of knowledge doesn't get you five times the results. It gets you like 1.1 times the results. So I think those big rocks are the, you know, the point of diminishing returns, but knowing more is better, all things being equal, but it's just not a lot better. And the final medium rock I think is clinical guidelines for conditions. So like, uh, if somebody has a herniated disc or a femoral impingement or a bursitis in their shoulder or something like that, you know, knowing what the clinical guidelines are for that condition. Now, I say these are only a medium rock because basically when, like, I know all those guidelines and what they all basically say is do the things that I put in the big rocks, right? <laughs> Build a therapeutic alliance, work on progressive strengthening, range of motion and control, uh, apply behavior change and pain science and build up to doing the physical activity guidelines, right? That's, that is basically what most clinical guidelines say. Now, some clinical guidelines also say, oh, and by the way, for people with this condition, you know, this exercise seems to work a bit better than this other exercise, right? But they all work. This one just works a little bit better or this one works a little bit worse. Um, and so, but for the majority of clinical guidelines, they basically just say <laughs> those big rocks, right? So knowing the clinical guidelines can make you a bit more confident, a bit more effective, but it's not night and day by any means. I reckon it's a, it's an increment. It's a 10 percenter. It's not a 80, 20 thing. All right. So those are the medium rocks. And I think those medium rocks, you know, the big rocks I said, you can probably, aside from those initial 40 exercises, right, which I think is, you know, it's a longer process. That's a several month process of learning your certification. But once you're learning to, to learn basic strength training or basic behavior change or basic pain science or the physical activity guidelines, each of those is like a weekend, right? The basics. Once you get up to the medium rocks, though, Advanced strength science, that's a one, two, three, four-year process, right? So to learn basic strength science is a weekend, right? You get 80% of all the benefit you're going to get in terms of the results you can obtain for your clients. To get an extra 10% results, you might take four years of study. To get an extra 10% results in terms of your adherence to behavior change and stuff, you might do four years of practice, 
right? To, to get an extra 10% of athletic performance, you might do four years of, of training on that, right? So, the, you know, to, to, to get an extra 10% of results from understanding anatomy and biomechanics better, you might spend a year, you know, learning that stuff. So the, this is where the point of diminishing returns really starts to kick in and you can spend years getting just a little bit better, right? Because there's so much nuance and detail and stuff to learn. But the, the good news is the vast majority of all benefit is possible to get, you can get very quickly, right? So those big rocks is where I would start. All right. So finally, what I consider to be the tiny pebbles, right? These are the things which are the tiny little rose quartz stones that we uh, can you know, spend hours polishing up, which actually don't make much, or I would say really any difference to the vast majority of clients. Uh, when we're talking about things uh, in the context of getting our clients stronger, more flexible, fitter, happier, better balance, more empowered and more functional in their everyday life. So what are these tiny pebbles? Well, this is a a non-exhaustive list, but here are the things that came to mind when I thought about this. Getting the breath pattern right. I I think Working with breath can be incredibly valuable. It can be really great to help people relax and center with their body and stuff. But that's not the same thing as getting the breath pattern right, right? You can get all of those benefits of breath by just like sitting and consciously breathing for a couple of minutes or lying and consciously breathing. Like it doesn't matter whether you inhale or exhale in ballet stretches, right? That's not going to determine whether your sore back gets better or not or whether your legs get more flexible or not. So getting the breath pattern right, I think, is a tiny pebble. Whether you're in neutral spine or imprint, that is a tiny pebble. Doesn't make any difference to whether you're going to get out of pain, whether you're going to get increased or decreased strength or flexibility, etc. So I don't think it is makes you know. I don't. I, I'm very firmly convinced by the literature that I've read that this is not one of the things that makes a significant difference. Now, maybe you're thinking like, oh, well, neutral spine, the ability to hold neutral, surely that's about control. It's like, yep, that is. Like the ability to hold neutral whilst moving the leg or the arm, that is and that is a element of control. So you could say, well, the ability to be neutral spine improves control. And I would agree with that. But for what purpose? Right? You remember if we're... This whole conversation is is predicated on the notion that the client's coming to us because they have a problem they want to solve, right? They've got back pain or they, they're not strong enough to carry their shopping up the stairs or they want to be able to pick their kid out of the bath or they want to be able to get down on the floor and sit comfortably cross-legged to play with their kids, whatever it might be, right? They want to improve some physical capacity that they have and probably as a result, they want to improve their psychological, mental health and well-being. Right. None of those things I just described will be enhanced by being able to keep neutral spine. So if you want to be able to, you know, get your kid out of the bath, well, there is a significant element of control involved in that, right? That you're, you're bending over at an awkward angle, picking up a heavy, wriggling, slippery object <laughs> on a slippery surface, right? It's a lot of control, Right. But it's not the same skill as lying on your back, keeping neutral spine and lifting one leg, right? It's a different 
skill. And that one of the things about control, when we talk about you know, the high class term would be like neuromotor control, you know, nervous system control of your motor system, which is your muscles and bones. Neuromotor control is specific, right? So practicing lying on your back, lifting your leg and keeping your spine neutral makes you good at lying on your back, lifting your leg and keeping your spine neutral. It doesn't make you good at lifting your toddler out of the bath when they're wriggling, right? It's just a completely different skill. Just like practicing the flute doesn't make you good at typing, right? It's just a different skill. So to practice the, the thing you want to get good at, but to get good at a thing, practice that thing. So whether in neutral spine or not, or in or imprint or whatever it might be, doesn't matter. Uh, variety, I think, is a tiny pebble. You know, once you have those 40 or 50 basic exercises and you can construct a well-balanced whole body workout that puts the whole body, you know, through range of motion under load and challenges control in a variety of directions, adding more variety doesn't add more results. All it does is arguably reduce the results because the clients don't get the chance to practice those things and get better at them and add more load and range and control challenge over time. So adding variety, in my view, is a tiny pebble that we uh, collectively, I think, in the Pilates world, spend a massive amount of time on scrolling through Instagram, looking for inspo, inspo, inspo. It's like, no, just go and teach the same workout you taught yesterday and just focus on your clients and help them do it better than they did it yesterday. All right, so variety, I think, is massively overrated. I would, I mean, my personal workout that I've done for literally a decade or more is literally the same eight exercises, <laughs> right? It's, it's, I know the exercises now that work for my body to give me a whole balanced workout that gives me the physical and mental result that I want. And I just rinse and repeat those exercises. And over time, I've got better and better and better at them. And I've got more stronger and more, I've got stronger and more flexible and all of that stuff. So uh, I think variety is well overrated. Uh, props. I think props are really just a sub sort of set of variety. I'm not against props per se. Uh, I'm all for having something to put your foot on if that makes it easier to get into the position or using a band if that makes it easier for you to feel the exercise or whatever. Uh, so I'm not against props per se, but I think adding props for the sake of adding props is an is a tiny pebble. It's not even a tiny pebble. It's a grain of sand. Uh, muscle activation, uh, by which I mean, you know, cueing clients to activate certain muscles or asking them to feel which muscles are activating. Uh, this is not important for the purpose of getting those aforementioned results of strengthening flexibility, control of their body, etc. Now, again, dear listener, maybe you're thinking, oh, well, the ability to connect with your you know, particular muscle and activate it and perceive it activating, surely that's control. Yes, I agree. That is control. But for what purpose, right? How does that help me get my baby out of the bath or carry the shopping up the stairs or get down on the floor cross-legged and play with my kids? And so... The answer is, dear listener, no, it doesn't help you with those things, right? So if you're really coming to Pilates because, like, you've got nothing better to do and it's like, oh, well, Pilates is kind of fun, so let's just do some fun stuff together, and that's a valid reason to come to Pilates, well, yeah, by all means, focusing on muscle activation and perceiving muscles working could be a fine thing to do because it's like, well, why not? It's like, it's as good a thing to do as anything else, and if you enjoy it, 
great. But it's not a practical activity in my view. It doesn't enhance outcomes. If you're already doing those big rocks, like you've got the right you know, mix of exercises to work everybody in every direction. You're doing basic strengthening, flexibility and control challenge. You're helping people, you know, you're, you're connecting on a human level with people and helping them change their behavior and set goals and track and follow those goals. You understand that hurt does not equal harm and you understand your tissue healing times and the basics of pain science. You understand physical activity guidelines. Once you're doing all of those basics right, which muscles you queuing or whatever is is going to have literally zero difference to your client's results right now i'm not talking about here saying like oh things like saying oh this exercise works your butt right whilst you're doing i don't know hip thrusts or something right that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about like telling people that they should be consciously squeezing their butt or that they should be feeling this in their lower tummy and if they're not that's a bad thing Right, saying like this exercise works your hamstrings, or this exercise works your butt, or this exercise works your abs, it, you know that's fine. I think that can be motivational to people if people are motivated by getting a stronger butt or hamstrings or abs. That's great. What I'm talking about here is like a focus on muscle activation as a goal in itself, and I think that is a tiny pebble. All right, dear listener, that's about all I got. I'd love to know your thoughts. I hope this you find this helpful or at the very least thought-provoking and uh, much love and I'll see you in the next one. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com 
and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.